Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fan cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Adam Forshaw of the podcast, ageing, slowing, worried about losing my place in the team. And I'm joined by Darren Driver, our own Pablo Hernandez, wizened, canny, and no one knows what he's going to do <laughs> next. And also Joe Hill, the young pretender, the Jamie Shackleton. Keep him happy or he might be off elsewhere Chaps, how are we doing? Yeah, all good. All good today. Yeah, I'm pretty good after a fairly steady debut last week. I'm ready to start kissing the badge and <laughs> pumping my fists at the cop this week. You're going to be a bit more creative this week, are you? going to push the boat out? I'm going I'm to try. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right, so before we get going, I'm just going to let the listeners know that there is uh, an exciting bonus episode going to go up later on this week. I am going to talk to a chap called Alex Benham about Project Restart. Alex Benham is a, a PhD student at Oxford University. He's working in public health. Um, he's doing a history, well, he's, he's studying the history of the plague in, in India, uh, but he's also doing a lot of uh, comparative work looking at the impact of, of uh, or the crossover between that plague and um, and what's going on now in coronavirus. And as part of that, he's been doing a lot of uh, research into what's going on behind Project Restart. So he did a really good piece um, they did a really good episode in uh, on the Extra Inch podcast, a couple of episodes actually, where he just looked into the, the protocols behind what's going on in terms of the Premier League restart. So what kind of testing is being used, the way that the um, the players are going to be isolated, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Just to talk about the general safety issues um, in of bringing football back in the time of coronavirus. Anyway, I contacted Alex and he was really happy to come on and talk about Leeds in particular and the championship in general. So uh, that will be out later on. Um, if you do have any questions, do get in touch. Hopefully this po- uh, podcast will be out before I interview him. So do get in touch if you have any specific concerns that you want to ask him about. Guys, in, in terms of Project Restart in general, we talked a little bit about this last week. Um how are you feeling about it now? We've had another week. We've had more positive um, uh, tests back from the um, the championship and positive in the negative sense, as Donald Trump would point out to you. Um, we don't want positive test results back. Um, how more, more sanguine are you feeling about the possibility of uh, championship football coming back in the, in on June the 20th? You, is, is, is anyone feeling less um, convinced than they were that this will happen? What are you thinking, Darren? I suppose that, you know, the growing numbers are, are, are a concern, aren't they, of tests? And and there is part of me that that is kind of a bit nervous about it not happening, which is, I suppose, daft in a way, because if it doesn't happen, that that bodes well for, for us. We we would, you know, almost certainly be promoted automatically um, un, under that sort of system. But, but I want to see it done. I want to see it happen on the pitch. And, you know, obviously... We, it's it's easy to kind of uh, forget that professional footballers are human beings and that, that, that there are people at the centre of these tests as well as just kind of bland and blank numbers um, and I hope that we can that that everyone in the in the championship can kind of continue to work towards a safe restart if that is at all possible. Mm. 
Do do either of you feel sort of a little bit um, dubious about the fact that the Premier League players have recorded no positive tests last week um, compared to the Championship, which was up at around seventeen, I think. Do do you do you have any concerns there, or do you think that's just that's just part and parcel of the fact that Premier League footballers are just a lot more protected from the public than? Than the championship. Yeah, I think it's it's got to be a factor that the Premier League footballers are, are more protected in the houses that they live in and the environments that they're in. And some some of the lower championship clubs, you know, people can't be earning the the same wages and they can't be in the same sort of isolated environments that they are in the Premier League. Um, I think there's another round of tests that's set to. Uh, set to come out today um so that'll be really interesting to see in the championship i think i think uh, previously it was in the latest round it was eight people from 10 clubs or sorry 10 people from eight clubs um and if that grows even more if if the number of clubs grows and the number of cases grows then that could be a concern for us i'm sort of feeling a bit of obtuse pride in the fact that leeds have had no positive tests yet that we know of anyway and i'm almost certain that's going to come back and bite me on the ass at some point i do feel as though the leeds have been a lot more savvy about the possibility of things coming back um i know that's probably majority down to bielsa because that's the sort of attitude that he takes he plans for mm. every eventuality and um i think phil hay was saying on the phil hay show the other day that um that Bielsa was ready to come back in mid-May when the original date was first um, was first touted, um, and I've heard ver- fairly positive things coming out of the club in terms of the fact that they've ordered their own um, PCR testing testing unit, um, uh, which stands for polymer polymerized chain reaction uh, test that's a very specific type of test um, that can detect the virus um, in within you um, we're going to talk more obviously about to, to Alex about that because Alex is the expert on these things um, but it does seem as though um, Leeds United have have mirrored actually what we've seen in a lot of governments and states who've actually been ahead of the curve um, it's that's generally been the better way to to be about these things and um, hopefully that will stand Leeds in good stead but as I've said um, um, let's let's um, leave much of that discussion for um, for the next bonus podcast. But um, one final question before that: it, Do either of you feel as though one of my bugbears this week has been that there's been very very little critique of what's happening in terms of the the protocols for for the championship amongst the mainstream journalists? It seems as though the journalists are just of the opinion, well, it was better for football to be back, therefore. I just sort of trust the EFL and the clubs and the authorities to do the right thing and make it safe. Do either of you feel um, at all um, negative about the possibility of coming back? Is this something that we're just being sort of tricked into because we all want to watch football? I think it's a really good question. I I guess it's incongruous, isn't it, to say on one hand I'm ready for football to come back, but then to see images of full beaches and be kind of tutting and sighing at those and and I guess I'm fully prepared to embrace that incongruity in my own head <laughs> because because as you say I, I do want I do want football to come back but I suppose somewhere deep down I do have some nagging questions about whether it is the right thing to do whether whether it is right to put these these people these footballers back into a situation which is potentially unsafe but also bearing in mind that that you know as you said earlier probably footballers are among the most protected people around and they've got access to regular testing which Joe Public doesn't have. I would add to that the fact that there should be I think some concern that that, um, BME people seem to be uh, disproportionately affected by um, the coronavirus and I I certainly think that we haven't really talked about that enough in terms of uh, championship football I don't know the exact spread of of BME um, players in the championship but I suspect it's quite a large proportion and I'm sure it's much higher than the the national average so I I do think we should at least um, hat tip that but Joe what what are your thoughts on this? Yeah it's a it's a fascinating topic really it's and there's so much to think about and so much to consider with every strand that you could go down with it um I think recently I've been of the opinion that as other industries are returning back to work and as restaurants and those kind of places are opening, that football is work for a lot of people and we do need a way of of allowing them to get to that work in a safe environment. And obviously if the number of cases 
does fly up, then we need to we need to nip it in the bud. You know, it can't happen. But until if we can if we can go about it in a safe way and keep the number of cases relatively low, then I don't see why we shouldn't be trying to give it the green light. I think players being able to opt out is really important to you know and I think a lot of managers have indicated that they're fine with that I think that's a really important factor I would just say adding adding to that fact is uh, we've we've, we've both mentioned I mean Joe mentions there that it's a safer environment than it than it is for a lot of other businesses Um, and and Darren's mentioned that that obviously the the testing case capability is way higher than than Joe Public um, is is um, has access to I do just wonder to a certain extent that um, because football is going to be so much more on the ball in terms of testing, whether or not it's going to give us a much better picture of just how unsafe uh, the rest of uh, society is in going back um, to work. And um, I wonder whether or not that it could actually flip around and and impact um, uh, the questions about whether or not people should be working if if. If, say, the championship has to close down because even with all of the safety measures they have in place, even with all the testing capability, they still end up in this scenario where too many people are are picking up the virus. But that's, again, something that we can talk to Alex Benham about a little bit more. So if you're interested in any of these topics, do listen to that bonus episode. Um, And I do think it's really important that um, we do at least think about these questions. Um, And as Darren said, you know, there's a certain amount of incongruity in any sort of ethical endeavor. It's like if ethics was easy, then it wouldn't be ethics. It's, um, and if, and if your ethics is easy and comfortable, then it's probably a shit ethics in my opinion. So it's good to raise these difficult questions and it's good to feel, I think even, um, that, that we are sort of conflicted. Um, we are conflicted about wanting the football to come back, but then we are unhappy about the way that it's being done. Um, and I think again, you know, what better time, than, than the present to, to be faced with that kind of issue, especially at a time when, when the Black Lives Matters protests are going on. Um, because, again, we have the same issue there as as three white guys. Um, we, we, we have to feel the tension. We can't just make it comfortable for ourselves. There's so much um, history that, that is, is there and so much in, ingrained and structural racism that I think, you know, here's a good example of what ethics should look like. We should feel uncomfortable. We should feel as though we aren't going to be able to do enough, um, uh, but we should at least raise those questions and, and embrace the, the tensions there. Anyway, that's my sermon over, um, and we should move on to on-field stuff uh, because uh, that is what we celebrate on this in, on this podcast. In terms of the structure of what we're going to do now, just um, to, to lay it out, we're going to carry on with our squad analysis. We've just got three positions left to cover, um, and then we are going to go to listener questions. So the three positions we have left to cover are right wing, left wing, and striker. So let's just jump in. I need to draw up the um, the Leeds United squad because I... I'm always um, a little bit worried that when I do this, I'm going to just forget someone really basic. Um, but the position is is right wing, and it's I think been quite an interesting. We talked about this a little bit on the, at the end of the last podcast when we talked about Pablo Hernandez. Uh, but so much of this comes down to the question of how you think or how we yeah how we think the the two wings should function. We in the first season under. Bielsa we saw a very um, asymmetric system where we had Pablo Hernandez playing slightly deep slightly um, more likely to cut inside and then and then Jack Harrison as an as an out and out left winger Um, but then obviously this season with with injuries in the midfield area we've seen Hernandez drop into the uh, push into the middle and then we've seen Costa play as a sort of balanced um, to um, to um, Harrison on the on the right as well playing probably more like uh, an out and out winger but maybe maybe a sort of hybrid between the two positions that Hernandez and Harrison were playing so I think the big question in this respect is um, is really a uh, tactical one which is how how do you think which team do you think plays the better do we think the team with uh, Hernandez in it on the right plays better than the team with Costa in it on the right and I've got a feeling Darren that you're going to say Hernandez on the right because uh, you've, you've you mentioned that last week yeah, that's absolutely true. I I think we we function most effectively with with um, Hernandez on the right and a, a combination of players in the middle. Um, I think it's been really interesting to see Costa's development throughout the, throughout the season. Um, I found him incredibly frustrating at the start of the season. Um, I think his real benefit as a player comes when we're able to play on the break, which is not something we're able to do all that often. When when we break quickly and Costa is the guy 
breaking where he is incredibly effective and incredibly efficient and we I think that's largely how he functioned in the Wolves team that he played so well in um because we don't get to play on the break very often and purely because of that I would always plump for putting Pablo Hernandez on the right wing there. So what would you do with Costa then would you just keep him on the bench and bring him on as an impact sub? Well I th- I think we know that that in in all likelihood we're not going to get a full season out of Pablo so I think that Costa is going to get an, you know, a good number of games irrespective of, of what his inverted commas starting position is. Um, but I think that if, if Pablo's fit and firing, I'd be, I'd be very tempted to do that, yeah. Particularly late in the game when, when defences are tiring. I think his, his pace and incisive running really comes, into, comes to the fore. Joe, what's, what's your thoughts on this whole issue? I agree, but I think that's only, for me, that only applies to a fully fit squad. I think if... If Forshaw isn't there, I would personally like to see Hernandez in his position in, in the centre of midfield and, and I would use Costa on the right. Um, I think Forshaw does a great job of dictating the play and sort of moving around and all the rotations that they do. Forshaw's perfect for that. Um, but is Stuart Dallas as good for that? You know, if, if Forshaw's injured and keeping Hernandez on the right, I think... I'm quite comfortable with Hernandez being in in the middle in that scenario, but in a fully fit squad, it perhaps yeah perhaps Costas would start on the bench and then replace Hernandez at some point or replace Forshaw and and they could all rotate positions. I think so much of this question is made more interesting by the fact that um, with with Bielsa, it's all about the system rather than the formation, uh, and the formation is always in service to the to the system, and and so that. There's so many players who we can talk about as almost having like hybrid positions. Um, a, g- a good friend of mine has, has has always been adamant that um, players aren't positions. You shouldn't ever think of a player in a position. Um, you should think about a player in terms of their their skill set and their capacity, and and then fit them into a team in a in a way that that uh, makes it work best for them. And I think that's what playing the system means, really. Um, so there's other players we're going to talk about later. I think Tyler Roberts is is one. Like, what do we think of him as? Is he a, is he a forward? Is he is he a 10 can he play in a, as an advanced eight do we even have a 10 in in our system um and i think so much of what's great about bielsa's system is precisely that it does look very different depending on who which personnel are put in there and um it it it, it is able theoretically to accommodate any player in any position as long as they know the system well enough yeah and bielsa's system's entirely holistic isn't it so one part always depends on the other part as well whereas i think i think with with you know various coaches we've had over the years, it's been much more of a, a, a case of the system, the the parts of the team being divided. Uh, so it might you know you, you could think about the um, attacking part of the team, you can think about the defensive part of the team. But with with Bielsa, they're all so closely interconnected and they all contribute to every part that it's sort of difficult to to break it down in in that in that way. I think the the next question is then who do we have behind those two? Um, and I think this is where it starts becoming. Um, again, quite thin on the ground, but I think we've we've I feel like we've almost said this for every position that we've looked at so far. It's, it's sort of been oh, you've got one solid player in a position, and then you've got some backup player who can be moved from somewhere else, and then you're very much looking into the under twenty threes. Um, Jordan Stevens was obviously played um, on the right a few times this season. Beyond that, again, Ian Paveda, but like, who knows where he plays? He could play in my head anywhere in those three um, positions, the, the sort of advanced eight the, the, and then the two wings. Um, and then beyond that, I don't know, he was talking about Stuart Dallas, but I mean, that's I find just saying Stuart Dallas is as a solution to any of these problems uh, isn't the greatest necessarily, um, just simply because we know where Dallas plays best and we, we kind of want to keep him there. I think we we need to start getting to a point where we can think of Dallas as being, I think, a starting left back. Um, and and I think he, he's we do a disservice if we if we think of him as just a bit part player because as we've said he's not the greatest in central midfield. Um, I don't really think that he's the best as a as a an advanced wide player. Um, and so any issues that we have in the squad can't simply be solved by Dallas. But um, Darren, what do you think of of backup behind? Um, behind I guess Costa and Hernandez my sense is that Perveda has been signed for that position um I've spent a bit of time watching video clips of him over the last couple of weeks and um 
most of the the work that I've seen is is him working from the right hand side and very effectively. He looks really two footed, so he looks like he he can go either way. But I think that he I think he does tend to kind of favour his right foot ever so slightly. Um, I I think that that's what he was signed for. Now, why, interestingly, when he dropped out of the squad. Uh, he, he was in as a substitute for his for the first match he was signed for the Millwall game, wasn't he? And and then he kind of vanished from the squad. And I'd be really interested to get a, get an idea about what that was actually about, whether it was about tactical development or whether it was about at- attitude stuff, because there were some rumours floating about and what have you. But um, yeah, I, I think that that that's what he's been signed for, um, rather than for the left. It, it's quite interesting, I think, to think of. Um, the the notion of Bielsa having two players for each position and I guess the best way to think of all of these positions is to sort of put down our two players in each position so it sounds as from what you're saying as though the well I, I, I'll push this over to you Joe but um, if you were to say you've got to fit all of the players that we've talked about into positions uh, and have a starter and a backup or whatever or two players in each position how would you go about doing it? how would you do the right the right wing the the sort of advanced eight position and then the left wing and and, and we'll we'll go from there um the right I'll lock in Costa on the right um I think I think the left is is actually the easiest because for me you've got Harrison and Alioski as the cover um and well I guess Alioski can cover the left back too but um and if we if we like we were speaking about before if we see Hernandez as a winger then on the right hand side you've all, you're also covered with Costa and Hernandez um so that does leave the the number 8 position if you if you're putting Hernandez out on the right then who goes into there for sure and then you're looking at Dallas or Shackleton so i think maybe there is there is a a hole there but like Darren says it could be that Paveda is is able to fill that hole um i'd love to see more of him once these games get going again uh, hopefully if they do and maybe that means that Costa and Paveda can be the two on the right and Hernandez can be as a number eight I kind of think as the, as the of the pure wingers in the squad so you know Costa uh, Paveda if you consider him a pure winger and Harrison it's kind of been interchangeable across across either side because we've seen that Harrison can play from the right um, I think Costa's played from the left quite a bit in his career although not for us um, so I, I, I'm sort of not really necessarily thinking of it as who's on the left, who's on the right, but it's, it's a pool of players for, for either wing, if you like. Yeah. I guess if I was forced to, to, to sort of go through this exercise, I would say, um, probably Costa on the right and, um, yeah, Paveda and, and Harrison on the left. And then, yeah, now we're struggling. I guess, I guess Hernandez... I like it with Hernandez on the right, but I do think that Bielsa is going to start thinking of him of of him as more of a um, a number sort of ten ish advanced eight, and then I would sort I would sort of have for sure and click in the same spot, but then with the with the understanding that either of those two can play well, for sure probably slightly deeper most times, but click can play advanced or or sitting, and then you've probably got some kind of combination of Shackleton and. Um, Hernandez as well in the in the middle so I guess I guess I would agree with you in that we could play Paveda on the right although um that would depend I think is Paveda left-footed I think he's comfortable on either foot but I think he just ever so slightly favors his right right okay um so I mean that would that would be fine as well so um but you're right I think you're right Darren maybe it's maybe it's too um academic to to sort of talk about two players in each position and and the beauty of the system that we've mentioned is that you can move players around um and you have that pool and you've got to work things around but I do think it's it's worth sort of talking about the various combinations that you can have there because um we we lost out this season because we didn't have the right players in the positions that we needed them at the at the time that we had them um various injuries but in terms of the the wider i've just got some um just some news through from a, from our source not just through but it's news from this week but um because we're talking about shackleton in particular and stevens but um i've been told that there's some players who've been told not to come back for this short uh, end of the season because they're not going to be used in the following season and that includes players like huffer burlace hudson uh Kamwenda and marley um and then i think probably to that 
group, you're probably going to imagine that um, Ryan Edmondson is going to go as well. Um, but that means that there's big decisions for Robbie Gotts, Jamie Shackleton, Alfie McCalman and Jordan Stevens, because you can only imagine that they're only going to get minutes if they go somewhere on loan or if they move out. Um, and I th- of those four, I think Shackleton is probably the most interesting because I think Shackleton is the player that I think is most ready to come into the team uh, right now. And so um, I'm going to be interested to see what, what Shackleton is going to do. I know that Shackleton isn't technically in the positions that we've talked about, but with this, with this news that um, he was thinking of maybe getting going on loan to a championship side if we get promoted next season I just wondered if you guys had any thoughts on that um, we'll start with you Joe I do love Shackleton I love the way that he plays and his energy on the pitch but it's hard to ignore the fact that if we do get promoted I can't really see him getting any minutes unfortunately unless there's unless there's some injuries um, and I think it probably would be best for his career to to go on loan to a championship side and where he can start every single week and come back to us after a year or in January, depending on what happens, having had some proper game time, because I think he will he will suffer. He's a he's a really exciting prospect, but if we do get promoted, fingers crossed, I think he will he will suffer if he stays at Leeds. I think that with a full season of fitness, Shackleton would have played a lot more than he has. Um, I think we're already short in the central midfield positions, as we as we kind of established last week. I'd be really reluctant to see Shackleton go out on loan. Um, I, I I would much rather see him being developed and used in in and around our first team, as he has been when he's when he's been fit. Um, I think it'd leave us short, and I think that he would benefit more from the game time with us than he would from playing again in the championship. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the transfer market this this window um, or in the summer window or whatever it's going to look like, simply because I think we are going to have to bring in someone in central midfield and that could be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back with respect to Shackleton. Um, I'm I'm with both of you two. I think that Shackleton is really exciting for the future. Um, it's just it's just the the way things are. If you if you get into the Premier League, you can't you can't really uh, risk developing young talent. Um, and I hate saying that, and I don't like the Premier League because of it necessarily. But um, I think that's just the reality of it. Um, let's let's move on from from the right wing. It seems as though what we're saying then is is Costa slash Hernandez in equal measures, depending on on various contextual things. Um, and then and then we're looking at probably. I mean, there's been people who've talked about bringing Harrison over on the right. There was a lot of people who thought he did quite well there against Arsenal. I think the Arsenal game is a bit of an outlier. I, I think a lot of people make a lot of that game um, unhelpfully. Um, in terms of things like, well, Barry Douglas played and played quite well um, and uh, Berardi came on was okay. Um, I just think it's one of those games where um, we played really well in the first half and and you shouldn't just imagine that that is, is, is going to therefore translate into the Premier League. It's, a, it's an FA Cup tie that Arsenal clearly thought that they were probably going to ease through quite comfortably and it didn't end up that way. So, um, But yeah... I guess we could play Harrison over on the right. We could also play Pervader over on the right as well. So if we if we're talking in terms of a pool of talent, that's there. And I suppose you sort of push that over to the left hand side then. So it's it's we're going to be talking about exactly the same players, but but on the left. So do you think there's any marked differences between um, the left and the right, Darren? Not really. I mean, other than that, Harrison is the clear number one. Uh, for, for that position and over the course of this season and towards the end of the last season I, I've come to really admire him as a player um, I thought his second 45 against Bristol at home this year was was the best wing performance I've seen at Ellen Road for a long time um, really um, decisive great delivery good decision making moving the ball quickly um, some of the things that, that I, ha- I hadn't seen earlier that, that sort of have frustrated me about him at times so um, yeah, very, very clear to me that that he's more than worth the. I think it's eight million that that we've got lined up with Man City to to buy him. Um, I would expect that to go through without any trouble, and I'd be I'd be more than happy with that. Um, he's got some really, really clear strengths, which are as good as anybody. Um, in, you know, his first touch and his kind of quick one touch uh, play in tight spaces and that kind of thing. Um, I think his weakness is probably his decision making and I think that's good because I think decision making is something that you can learn yeah. through your career and he seems to I think part of the reason why he has improved over two seasons of Bielsa is I think partly just maturity he looks a little less flustered on the ball than he used to uh, but also I think he's just a lot more comfortable in the system knowing knowing what to do. Um, Joe are you a fan of Jack Harrison? 
Yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, I think, like Darren said, he's he's really come into his own this season. Um, he's really improved, and that can that can only get better, really, as the longer that he stays with Bielsa. Um, I can't remember which which games it was in, but um, we've even seen him kind of deployed as a wing back um, when there's been no no left back behind him at all. Um, which I wouldn't do every single game, but um, it just shows his capabilities on that side. Um, and obviously, if he does get injured, then we are looking at a, a hole in his position because there aren't many players that can can do what he does in this in this squad apart from maybe bringing Costa over from the right or pushing Alioski up from left back um but it just shows how outstanding Harrison has been this year what do you guys think of the idea of uh, switching Harrison to the right I think he's got the ability to do it I mean we've only really seen it in the Arsenal game and I think I think he was brought on there a couple of times last season um but I'm kind of slightly old-fashioned in that, that I like at least one of the wingers to be able to go down the outside and deliver with, with their strong foot. Um, and if you if you put Harrison on the right, um, then you kind of lose that. I, I don't think both wingers should be inside out, basically, is what I'm saying. And um, I don't have any doubt that he can do it. It's it's just that I think he's most effective on, on the left. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you see a lot of teams just switch their wingers at, throughout games just to try and get an edge, and I don't think we really see that happening at all at Leeds. If there's any flexibility, it's in the it's in the central areas between the midfielders. But the the wingers are very much um, determined by their position. If you're on the if you're on the left, you get high and wide and try and isolate yourself against fullbacks. And if you're on the right, I mean, even even though we've already mentioned that that Hernandez and Costa are slightly different, I think Costa still plays deeper than Harrison. And the expectation is that he picks up the ball in in a deeper area and runs at players rather than Harrison, who picks it up in advanced areas and and sort of tries to work the space that he's got by dint of the fact that they've they've worked that that overlap. So, um, and then behind them, yeah, I guess any combination of of, of those players that we've talked about. Um, were you guys surprised not to see Perveda played at all in the in the time after he was brought in in January? Because um, there seemed to be a general consensus that he was just going to be played sooner rather than later, and obviously that didn't happen. It would have been nice to see him play. Um, from memory, I think he made the bench a few times once he'd been signed, and uh, John Kevin Augustine didn't make the bench, and that was sort of a bit of a weird area. No one knew what was going on, and then Pervader just stopped making the bench for some reason. Um, and obviously, you lo- you love to see new signings get get minutes because you want to see what they're made of. And we've come into this period with no football, not not knowing what Pervader's like, how he plays, and it's yeah it's it's a bit of a strange a strange thing to do when you've just signed a player i think what's the famous stat is it robbie gotts was on the bench 35 times before he got his debut um and i think again phil hay mentioned that this week but i kind of like the idea that that bielsa will say to that you know i'm not he's not sentimental in that respect he's not going to be like well you've been on the bench a lot i'm going to put you in there's very much the idea that we have this system the system works you're going to be fit into the system when the system requires you and um i think in the long run that's that's probably the best way of being able to go about it but i think that also comes at a cost insofar as we seem to think that as a club that once Bielsa leaves we can just bring in another manager who'll be able to get players to do that and I just I think it's so hard to do because uh, Bielsa commands so much respect that he can say to someone look I'm just not going to play you don't fit in the system and they'll sort of take that with a pinch of salt whereas I think if you get another manager doing it then yeah I I think it would be be slightly different but um, Darren you've mentioned that you've watched uh, Perveda a lot Um, have you been disappointed that it hasn't been played so far? I wouldn't say I've been disappointed. I'm excited to see him, but I'm not at all surprised that he hasn't been played yet because we know that that's how Bielsa introduces new players into the squad. From a, you know, from a personal point of view, do I want to see silky wingers beating players? Yeah, of course I do, and and he he very much fits into that kind of um, fits into that mold. But we'll we'll see him when he's ready. You know, that's that's kind of how how Bielsa works, isn't it? And it will be interesting, I think, to see whether or not this this gap has has allowed uh, Bielsa to feel more comfortable with with playing some of these players given that they've we've now got a much fitter squad much more well <laughs> technically fit squad I mean obviously the match fitness won't be there but we'll have a, a squad that's better rested that will be ready to go and um, it will be interesting to see what what happens on the field but we've got a question about that for later so I'll leave that un- until then before that we should quickly move on to the striking situation which I think is is going to be quite tendentious maybe at least in amongst the fan base um, so obviously we've got um, 
Patrick Bamford, who is uh, very much a Marmite player, I think, when it comes to Leeds at the moment, uh, backed up by Jean-Kevin Augustin, who is, or at least was, one of the most exciting talents coming through um, in, in, in elite European football uh, at one point. Uh, famously outscored Kylian Mbappe in the Euros, youth Euros, I think it might have been. Um, and uh yeah he's you know he's he's got a great he's got a great pedigree already PSG RB Leipzig Monaco um and then of course Leeds uh, the greatest of the lot but um yeah a lot of questions around Jean-Kevin Augustin in terms of his fitness he came on in a lot of games and just looked sluggish and didn't really look like the world beater that he did uh, maybe 3 or 4 years ago and so the question becomes this what what do we do do we continue with Bamford and uh use J- JK as a sub, or do we um, risk JK? I mean, I think we all know what Bielsa's answer is going to be, but um, how do you go around solving this problem, Joe? Um, I think that for for now, for the for the first few games, um, I'd probably stick with Bamford and see see how he gets on, um, and bring Augustine off the bench at points. I would definitely do that. Um, I'm not sure that Bielsa will. Um, he might he might just play him in the Eddie and Ketia role of bringing him on at eighty five minutes and hoping he gets a goal. Um, but I'd, I think I'd start Bamford, Augustine on the bench, and then if if Bamford isn't isn't looking up to it, then I'd give Augustine a go. He's he's had months of hard work under Bielsa. Um, we've seen him looking really lean recently um he's clearly lost some weight um he's dyed his hair white so he's up and ready to go uh and yeah i'm i'm looking forward to hopefully seeing some of his games what are you feeling uh, about jk darren i think at the moment he sits behind tyler roberts not just patrick bamford in terms of for the center forward position uh we know that bielsa has players that he trusts and that he values and that he likes who who kind of are able to carry out his instructions to the letter. Bamford and Roberts have been able to demonstrate in game time that they're able to do that. At the moment, obviously, JKA hasn't had the opportunity to do so. Um, that's not to say that I don't think that Augustine will be the right man to bring on at certain points. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that he'll come on. I'm pretty sure that he'll make a, a good impact when he does. Um, but But, yeah, I think he... I think he's it's I think he's sits third in the pecking order at the moment. It's remarkable really, isn't it? Because in every other position I feel like we're always talking about oh who's the backup and in the striking position, a position that everyone I think at least is like, Why do we never score? We actually probably have the best depth. Um I I also consider Tyler Roberts to be a striker, first and foremost. Um but that said I don't necessarily have a problem with playing him in that in that sort of advanced eight role slash ten. Um I think bringing on Tyler Roberts against Hull, um, obviously those those goals were, were remarkable and um I think really showcased a lot of people to a lot of people that the the ability that, that Tyler Roberts has. And it's great to see. I think obviously being beset by injury since he um he came in has been has been a real shame um and i think he's a really exciting one for the future and I, again i'm not i mean i'm i'm a paid up uh, inhabitant of bamford island um and, and i've been living there quite comfortably uh in in on my own in many respects for a long time now i really like what bamford does um in general but i think yeah th- this is the question that we're going to come down to is it's it's not simply about who do you start it's about how you work the flexibility um once you've decided that bamford fits the team um and we all know that bamford is good at dropping deep involving in build up play he's gr- his hold up play is incredible i think and has him improved immeasurably under Bielsa he also has a tendency now in this system to pull wide we've seen some really interesting stuff where um because Bamford obviously isn't quite as pacey sometimes if we go long from the goalkeeper we'll see Bamford pull into um, Costa's space on the right and Costa go central and, and, and push into the space behind the defence against certain teams when they're playing a high back line um, we've also seen um, Bamford do a lot of work in channels as well it's not un- it's not unusual to see Bamford pick up the ball around the corner flag uh, and help Leeds um, build up play from there as well I just think his all-round play is is fantastic um, and I think he's just really hard done by because at, at the moment he's going through a, a really dry spell in terms of finishing and I've spent a lot of time on our channel just talking about how finishing is is not really a skill it's something that just happens um, you can't really distinguish between 
the best players at, when it comes to finishing, unless you're an outlier like Messi or Ronaldo. Um, some players have seasons where they'll overperform XG and some players have seasons where they underperform it. And we've just been unlucky that Patrick, Patrick Bamford has just had a historically poor um, performance this season when it comes to um, matching XG. So... Um, it's a it's a really tricky one. Um, I think we're we're in the position where we are now because we've um, because we've trusted the system and trusted the process, and I'm sure that's what we'll do for the rest of the the rest of the season. Um, but it's it's I, I do find it really tough. I mean, at what point do you simply say, well, you know, Bamford has been sort of so historically poor in terms of finishing that maybe just a bit of a break for him might be good. Put another striker in and say we're just going to do this until we, and then we'll bring Bamford on as a as a sub and we'll try and fix the problem that way. I don't have any problem with doing that, and I don't think that's not necessarily trusting the system. But I do think that when we did have Inketia, there was a there was a marked difference between having him on the pitch in terms of the team play and. Um, in terms of uh, having Bamford on the pitch, so um, all kinds of interesting questions uh, to be to be asked there. Um, in terms of next season, guys, what do you think should be done with with um, Jean Kevin? I think I think there is an obligation to buy um, in if we go up um, for sure, um, but I do think that JK will have to agree to that as well. I don't think he's obligated to join. Um, but what do you, do you do? You guys think it's the, it would be the worst thing in the world if we didn't sign him next season? How do you feel about next season with JK? What do you think, Joe? I would like to see him stay. Um, I do agree. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world if uh, if if he didn't. But he seems to love the club. Um, he's always posting on his social media um, lots of stuff about Leeds and marching on together and that. So he clearly is taking taking in everything that the the club and the fan base have to offer um and i think he's good enough from the from the little uh amount of game time that i've seen him play just on videos and youtube um he does he does seem to have the ability his finishing is great um i think he's he's strong and i think he could fit the system well so hopefully we get to see a bit more of him before the season ends and then I, if it was up to me, I think I would keep him on. My sense is that he's been signed w- with more of an eye on next season than on than on this season. I think the kind of fee that we're we're getting him for he represents potentially exceptional value, and I think that's something that Radrazani and Orta always look for in in players. Um, I I rather suspect that that should everything go okay and and we end up in the Premier League, that that he will become the the guy rather than Bamford, and Bamford will have to kind of take more of a back seat. Um, but I think for for the rest of this season, it's pretty clear that that Bamford is is going to see out the season, and and quite rightly too, because the team plays better when he's in it. Do you think there's any chance that Bamford might be moved on in the summer? The indications I've seen, and I can't remember where I read it, is that that the intention is to retain him for next year, irrespective of what we do. So um, I think there's always a chance that that any and any player can go at any time, can't they? But but uh, as far as I understand, that, that he'll be retained for next year irrespective of division. For all that that Bamford absolutely frustrates the hell out of me sometimes with some of the chances that he misses, during lockdown I've been watching quite a few of the games from this season and, and what's really clear to me is he's absolutely um, probably the most important cog in, in, in the system in terms of how he runs, how he occupies defenders, in terms of all the work that he does off the ball, in terms of his pressing. Um, and I, I think he's, irrespective of the fact that he's missed chances and everyone gets annoyed with him, he's absolutely earned his chance, uh, earned the right to play out the last nine seasons, uh, n- last nine games of the season. Nine seasons, wow. That's how long you want to keep him for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. One for the future, Patrick Van. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's and also I love, to... sorry, just wanted to say yeah, I absolutely love the way he's been sticking it to the racists on Twitter this week. Well done, Patrick. Yeah, good, good on him, Comrade Bamford. Finally, <laughs> <Indeed>. right, <laughs> no longer the Tory Lord, but now the uh, full-blown socialist. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping 
and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Let's move on to talk, uh, go, go through the listener questions, which I think are quite are quite fun. Um, I've already failed to mention the questions that were about um, Bamford and 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 the strikers so i'll just give a hat tip to those so bielsa's cheese wedge ultras disgusting idea i know but given bamford will be a cert starter and uh, bielsa likes to play one striker how do you see him accommodating both roberts and big kev who surely needs proper game time to show he can deliver uh, and uh, my good pal callum archibald asks why do, where does tyler roberts fit in the side right now he's been good whenever he's at nine and he's got an ability to play eight uh, sorry ten but we don't see i'm just so biased i'm just trying to squeeze him in there, but um to play to play ten but we don't play with the 10 at the minute and he's likely to be behind Bamford and JK in the pecking order. So I think we've uh, answered both of those questions fully, but thank you guys for, for sending those through. Um, other questions. We've got a few actually about the change that we're going to see by dint of the fact that the, the structure of the game is changing uh, subtly uh, due to the coronavirus. So Sam asks, I'd be interested to know how you use uh, how you see the use of five substitutes affecting games. Is there any merit statistically based on the eye test? Too many subs in a friendly seems to kill the team's rhythm. Will it simply be a desperation tactic for managers? And then I'll throw the, the next question in from Dan Holdsworth as well. Um, just because it fits into this uh, area as well. But the consensus is Leeds will come out of lockdown better prepared than most other teams. I think that will probably be true, at least in terms of fitness and pattern play. Do you think there are elements of the end of last season that will go against Leeds? For example, less intensity leading to slower games where Leeds have to pick through more deep-lying back defences. Also, do Leeds uh, do better with a full week to prepare between games? Does two games per week hamper Leeds' Bielsa preparation? advantage um so both of these questions i think are are just sort of touching on this the new structure of the game um in terms of uh, the the obvious changes that have to come about by playing a lot of games in a short space of time under very specific pandemic measurements um so let's let's talk about some of the issues one by one because there's so much in both of those questions so the first one is the use of five substitutes from sam um is there any merit statistically um based on eye test um the too too many subs in a friendly seems to kill rhythm so is that going to be um is that going to mean that the game has changed in in any meaningful way and how will it impact leads and i think this is a question that josh hobbs wanted to talk about as well actually insofar as uh, he sees Leeds as getting a huge advantage by the fact that the fitness levels mean that that Leeds can often blow teams away late in games so if there's the ability for teams to just bring on an extra two players at the end will that mean that Leeds lose an advantage there so I think lots of different ideas here either five substitutes being a good thing for Leeds or a bad thing so uh, Joe let's kick off with you how do you feel about the the five substitute thing? Well um, I'll start by saying that I think that Bielsa will not take advantage of the <laughs> of the new rule. I think Bielsa will just do his own thing um, and keep the team as it is if they're playing well. Um, in some ways, I think you're right that it could benefit the opposition if you're looking at a team that does defend relentlessly um, at 60, 70 minutes on. Uh, they could just swap some of their defenders or swap some of the holding midfielder uh, and... Yeah, I think that could benefit them and it will make it difficult for us to break those teams down. Um, despite that, they, they can't change everyone and I think there will be some players on the pitch that don't get subbed off that just end up be, being knackered when they play against Leeds. And I think it, it's going to be a really interesting... Uh, it's going to be a really interesting balance between seeing players who are completely, you know, tired out their minds because they've been running around for 80 minutes and fresh defenders who maybe haven't got the, uh, haven't managed to, you know, work with the other defenders for the whole game. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, I do think that it's it's an important point you say there that you know just bringing on a fresh defender doesn't necessarily mean that the system is going to top up. Um, there is. There's, I think there's a sense that, that there could be even the sense that if you bring on a new defender, there could be a loss of concentration that that then leads to, to mistakes being made as well. Um, in terms of the statistics merit, 
Um, well, obviously Leeds are probably the best team in the in the league in terms of their output, and Leeds very rarely make full three substitutions. So make of that what you will. I mean, you do have the added um, uh, in, influence of having games in quick succession, but. Again, I mean, some of my friends have pointed out that um, the issue here isn't necessarily regularity of the games because this is no busier than like a, a Christmas schedule, really, for a, for a championship side who is still in domestic cups. Um, but the issue, I think, here is going to be essentially coming straight in without a pre-season. Um, that's where we're going to see um, the, the issues. And um, I know that the Bundesliga, they're seeing a lot of soft tissue injuries, I think, because of this, because of coming back straight from not playing actually competitive matches matches or even playing um, friendly matches really before a game so that there's no real um, no real match fitness to speak of before you even come in games but Darren I'm interested in your thoughts on the five substitutes what are you thinking? I think it hasn't happened so much this year this season but last season I do remember Bielsa making quite drastic use of his substitutes early in games particularly at half time a couple of times he brought two players on um, and there were the times when he pulled off Calvin Phillips early in, early in the match too. So I, I suspect that, that he may use the substitutes a little bit more than we imagine. And that, that the, I, I'm kind of predicting that there'll be at least one game where we manage to turn around an adverse result because, of, because he's been able to make those substitutions. Have we got any sense of whether the substitutions will be, the five substitutions will be done in five transactions? Because I understood that it would be in three transactions. Um, just the same as it is now. Um, so I susp- I, I guess that that may be something which influences people's decision making too. So make you know kind of making bringing three players on at, at once is likely to unsettle a team, and I don't think it would necessarily be to their advantage to do that. Um, I think the other interesting thing is that the other. Um, statistic I I heard from the Bundesliga was that as well as the increase in soft tissue injuries, there's also been a reduction in the in the level of pressing that's happened, um, and I think that really speaks to teams sitting deep and and making us break them down um, even more so than we've already seen. Um, so I think we might we might see quite a few more uh, Gary Monk type uh, performances coming up from from opposition teams, which is going to be incredibly frustrating to watch, uh, but. That's just what we've grown used to now, isn't it? And then moving on to the issues in Dan's uh, question. So um, the you've, you've mentioned already the le- lack of intensity, but um, do we think that we're going to see um, Leeds falling away because they don't have the, the advantage that Bielsa's preparation has? Or do you think that Bielsa will simply have been doing that preparation in the weeks we've had off? And and um, in terms of, it's the, I guess the only negative aspect you could have here would be like not having enough time to drill your teams in response um to to what's going on but what do you think about that if there's one thing i know about bielsa is that he will be prepared and his players will be prepared um no matter what that takes um there's no way that he will allow any drop in intensity from what we've seen previously even if that does come at the expense of of injuries to players so um we'll be going at it full tilt irrespective of whether the teams that we're playing are or not um so I think I I I, don't, I really don't see any any disadvantage in terms of in terms of the level of preparation and and intensity personally. Short answer from both of you. Do you think that the break will benefit or negatively affect Leeds? In short, I think it will benefit us definitely. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent. Right, question from uh, Mark Thompson. Um, he says suggestion from Phil is that we're after a Premier League keeper. So. A, who would you want to suit Bielsa's system? And B, who do you think it actually is? And he says, for what it's worth, my guess is one of Romero at United, Bravo at City and Ramsdale at Bournemouth. So guys, any thoughts on this? Darren, what do you think? If if it was my choice, I'd buy Ramsdale. I think he's, I think he's really, really good. Um, everything I've seen of him, he, he, he distributes well, he commands the box well, he takes crosses well. You know he's he's able to make the saves that you need. I, I think he's he's the complete package. I'm just trying to see how many games he played this season. So yeah, he's played 28 games so far this season, which suggests he's probably their starting goalkeeper yeah. now, right? 
So I suppose we would probably struggle for that, but I, I guess that, that's what I, th- I think. The question we need to really ask is like, what function is this goalkeeper going to be playing? Right? Is he? Are we just? Are we getting a Rob Green to to sort of solid up the side for a season? Um, uh, is are we getting a keeper who we're not expecting to play that much behind someone else, or how's it all going to work? So, Joe, what are your thoughts on on the sort of function of of bringing in a prem keeper? I guess it really depends on what we're going to do with Casilla. Um, I kind of assume when I'm when I'm reading about us bringing in a Premier League goalkeeper, it's because they can't see Casilla staying on next season. Um, in which case, you're looking for a number one, really, because I'm not sure they'll play Meslier week in, week out, um, as good as he has been. Um, so, yeah, we, we should be looking at people of the quality that Ramsdale has. Um, although I agree, I think that's a tough ask to to look at taking their number one keeper. Yeah, I'm just looking through the list of goalkeepers now and I'm um, uh, just looking on FB Ref, um, looking at the stats. So I'm assuming that what we're going to look for is someone who's going to be attempting a lot of passes. Um, and yeah, the problem is as soon as you sort of go down the list and look at goalkeepers who aren't first choice goalkeepers, you just there's just very little data out there. Um, in terms of possible, so Matt, uh, interestingly, Matt Ryan is, has got the highest number of attempted passes this season so far at Brighton, which I think makes sense with with Graham Potter being there. Um, but again, R- Matt Ryan, we're not going to poach from Brighton, I, I would suspect. Uh, Tim Krul at Norwich is the second highest one, uh, and uh, I suppose that 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 would be a workable one. Uh, but then you're sort of you're down into sort of looking at people like um, oh, this is not right. Is this right? Yeah, attempted passes. Um, yeah, you're looking at first choice goalkeepers, really. Um, the two, the two who show up, obviously, um, Claudio Bravo, um, Willie Caballero, uh, potentials, I suppose. Um, Mark, Mark mentioned um, uh, Bravo, and obviously Bielsa will have worked with Bravo at Chile um, in his time there. So that's probably, I think, that's probably the likeliest one. But I'm just looking through the list now and trying to find potentials who could be quite good and uh, Norwich City have Ralph Fairman at the moment who they brought over from Schalke last season and um, everyone expected him to play fairly regularly and um, he hasn't but I've looked into his stats a little bit when he was at at Schalke in the 2017-18 season when uh, Domenico Tedesco was there and they played quite well. Um, For those of you who don't really know uh, Schalke or follow German football, Schalke are uh, technically the third biggest club in Germany when it comes to fan base and and they've just been chronically mismanaged in the last few seasons and uh, that 2017-18 season was really the only um, season in recent memory they've had that was quite good it was looking okay this season under David Wagner of all people but um, they've fallen off a cliff recently um, so I was wondering about what Ralph Fairman and I've looked at his stats in that season and he was yeah he's playing a lot of passes uh, from out of the back in a system that um, is quite possession heavy I'm a big fan of Dominico Tedesco he's now at mm, is it Zenit St. Petersburg or no Spartak Moscow I think um, but he's out in Russia maybe not doing as well as he as he should but um, I've actually f- highlighted him as a potential replacement replacement for Bielsa so with all that in mind given that Fairman is uh, I think he's only 30 years old he's um, a, a, obviously a decent goalkeeper um, I wonder whether or not Leeds might try and poach someone like him who I think would be a, a very good goalkeeper but um, is currently not starting that many games for his club um, so yeah, anyone got any more thoughts on this? Is there any players? Let's go through and then say who you actually think it's going to be. So we, we've, you've both come down um, heavily on the on the Aaron Ramsdale side of things, but do we all think that, that it, it's going to be Bravo or is there anyone else we think is more likely? What do you think, Darren? I think it, it may well be Bravo and the idea gives me nightmares, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. He does seem a bit Casilla, doesn't he? He does seem he like does. a sort of like-for-like replacement. Yeah, very very erratic in the goalkeeping fundamentals, although his distribution is you know, he's outstanding and he's able to find those same long passes that Casilla is. But I really hope it's not him. Yeah, um, I did see I did see us linked to Romero as well at Man United. That was something that was rumored. Um, who wouldn't be a bad shout? He's he's a num he's number two to De Gea, obviously. And well, if De, if De Gea stays on, then Romero definitely won't be getting any game time aside from in the cups. Um, but obviously, the problem there is that he's the wages. I think Romero's on seventy thousand pounds a week or something ridiculous like that. So I don't think that's possible either. He's also a Manchester United player, which would be an interesting, an interesting one to see how that's um, 
going to go down because it's been a good long time since there's been any sort of transfer dealings between Leeds and United. So, um, but I guess Romero is also Argentinian, mm-hmm. so you've got that connection as well um, with with Bielsa. So maybe that's um, likely as well. Right, uh, Brolin ate the pie. Um, will Bielsa do anything that might surprise us strategically or tactically in the next nine games? What do you think, guys? Nope. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about this, and the the interesting thing is going to be in theory if if all goes well and we do get promoted with two or three games left um how Bielsa goes about those last couple of games will it be will he just play reserves or under 23s or will it just be business as usual I mean obviously I'm getting a bit of a bit ahead of myself thinking about that scenario but that's the only time that I could potentially see there being anything out of the ordinary yeah I think there's going to be Likely, I've just done a, just done a couple of um, audio clips for uh, Mickey Peeker and um, Rob Mulholland. They're doing some kind of feature on on Bielsa in particular, and I've just looked at this this season and last season. I've done a, a sort of general um, cheat sheet on Bielsa's tactics, but then looked at last season and this season. And one of the things that I've, I'm so amazed at when I've gone back and watched games from last season is how tactically simple we were last season compared to this season. And I do think that Bielsa has been way more um, confident in doing interesting tactical shifts in game and out of well starting games but then than he did last season I mean for example we only played back three and we played three three one three ish in a defensive formation four times last season um which I think is pretty pretty remarkable given that this season we played it I think four times in November um and we've seen different formations this season. We only saw two formations last season, and um, we saw the three-five-two thrown in there as well this time round. And um, we've seen crazy things like Dallas playing as a right wing back and then dropping in to defend on the left back area. So um, one thing I think one thing that may be interesting to see is whether or not Bielsa reverts to type and, and sort of just plays solid stuff in the remaining nine games, um, and, and whether or not we see any more sort of interesting formations, or whether or not he's still happy with his team having taken a long break to to be able to do those sort of more tactically interesting, flexible things. Um, Darren, any thoughts? No, just just that in terms of tactical flexibility, we we know that he can respond in games, and 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 whether that is that you know that the the three at the back formation or whether it's the four one four one. Um, those are likely to be what we start with, um, and I don't think we'll be, see any surprises there. And certainly in terms of team selection, I'd, 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 I'm not expecting many big surprises at all between now and the end of the season. So final question from Howie Davis, who every time I see it, I think Howie Good Davis. Um, maybe that's maybe that's a Twitter Twitter name missed, right? But um, he asks if Saiz stayed, do you think he would have had a bigger impact in the second season under Bielsa? Um, I've talked about this a lot with Josh Hobbs, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts. So um, I know you're excited about this, Darren. So why don't you kick us off? Yeah, uh, my view is really clear that if Saiz had have stayed all last season and managed to maintain the level that he started with, we'd have been playing in the Premier Division this year, not in, not in the Championship. Um, he had the the potential to to change any game he he saw fit to, um, he occupied defenders in a way that that no other player that we've got except perhaps Tyler Roberts when he's really playing well at that ten row has, um, so he's kind of one of the real sadnesses of my of, of Bielsa's time for me because I I really rated him, I know that players uh, supporters said that he didn't score enough goals and he didn't get enough assists and everything but in terms of his function in the team he he played a real pivotal role last year and I guess it's it's one of those things we we knew we knew Saiz's record in terms of staying at clubs and 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 making long relationships with clubs before he came and unfortunately he kind of reverted to type during last season and and whatever the personal problems were that he was having and continues to have so yeah it's a it's a real shame yeah I agree um I think there's a, there was a period at the end of December, start of January, where Hernandez was injured, um, and we ended up having Dallas and Click in the midfield, um, which led to some crazy results around that period. And I think I think Saiz would have really been an asset at those points um, as a replacement for Hernandez when he was injured. Um, yeah, and he's been sadly missed this year, I think. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, the end of end of your second podcast. Um, just quickly, Joe, you are on Twitter at JoeHill96, is that right? Yeah, JoeHill96. And Darren, you're at Darren Driver. 
Yep. Wonderful. Thank you both for coming on. Um, we'll be back uh, next week. If any of the listeners have any questions that you want us to touch on, if you have any ideas of topics, if you have any ideas of uh, stuff to cover, obviously, until the football is back, we're, we're very open to suggestions, so do get in touch. But until then, have a good week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.